Amen. Thank you, church. How are we this morning? Good. All right. Well, um, I'm going to call today, in terms of the name of the message, I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but this is going to be part one because there's quite a lot to share. So uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll open up the word of God. Lord, I want to thank you again for this privilege and this opportunity to share your word. Lord, I pray that as this word is declared, that you will touch the hearts of those who are hearing it. Lord, I pray that you will prepare their hearts, that it will be good ground to receive your word today. That, Lord, it will bear fruit in our lives, O Lord Father. Lord, I pray that what we hear today won't be information, but will be transformation, O Lord Father. Ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today I'm going to be sharing, I think it might be a two-part two part series, maybe three, but I'm trying to keep it to two. But I'm going to share from the book of Haggai. And um, I've been looking at the book of Haggai for a while now, and the Lord has opened up so much from this book um, that I want to share with us. But I just want to give a, a little bit of a background as to where we meet what's going on at this time when we come into the book of Haggai. So um, we're familiar with Ezra and Nehemiah who went to go and build the temple and Nehemiah built the wall, okay? Now, the interesting thing is that um, they built the foundations, they started the work on the temple, but they didn't finish the work on the temple. So what happened was there was just foundations just left, beginning to just ruin. And Nehemiah comes, he builds the wall, and Haggai comes on the scene. We don't know much about Haggai. There's not no big story about him. We don't know his background story. We don't know what he was like. Could have been a rascal for all we know. We don't know. But Haggai comes on the scene, and it starts like this. If we go to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read from verse 2, actually. It says, Haggai comes in and he goes, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, I want you to just imagine for a minute. When I read this, I thought, There's no way people are walking around saying, Ah, we'll build God's temple later. Let's just deal with our own stuff. We'll do that later. How did God turn around and say, the people are saying to him, it's not time to rebuild the house? Well, he goes on to say that in verse 3 to 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in the paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So basically, what God is saying is that the people, through their lifestyle, through how they are living, are saying to him, it's not time to build your house, Lord. But you know what? I've got a lot of stuff I need to do in my house. Like, I need to live a certain way. I need things to be set away from me. I need to be a bit cushy, you know. So when I've sorted this out, then we'll get to building your temple. First thing I want to say about this is that we must learn to be sensitive to God's timings in things. See, the people were about doing what they were doing, but God had an agenda that wasn't being met. 
So God looks and says, hold on a minute. What, what are these people? These people, they just left my, left my house to ruins. What's, what's, what's going on? But the people thought, hey, you know, we've got stuff to do. We have to be ready for God's timings. It's interesting. When I read this, the thing that the Lord laid on my heart is that the word came through Haggai the prophet. But they had a priest there. And usually you, you would kind of think the priest is there laboring in the house every day. You know, he's going to hear this and tell the people they've been there for how long. This foundation, by the way, let me just give you a bit of perspective, has been sitting there for 15 to 16 years. So they've really abandoned the work. It's not like, oh, it's a couple of months. It's like 15 years they've left it. But the word comes through the prophet Haggai. And he speaks to the people. And so we must be sensitive to hear what God is saying to us. And it may come through different avenues, avenues that we didn't expect it to come through. But we must be ready to hear what God is saying to us when he speaks. And be ready to know his timings and what his agenda is when things are happening. So he, he speaks and he basically rebukes the people. And he says, look, you guys have left my house to ruin. He knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. And the question that we can gain from this that we need to ask ourselves is what are we telling God with our lifestyle? What are we saying to God, not with our words, but with our actions and with our deeds? Because these people, I'm sure when they heard this, they thought, oh, Okay, um, that don't sound good. God is saying that we've said, I'm sure they're saying, we never said that. We never said we're going to, no, 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 God, don't, don't, don't look at that. We, we never said that we're not going to build your house. We're, we're going to build it. We're going to get there. We're going to get to it. We just got a few things we need to sort out. And I never said that, Lord. Please don't say that. But no, no, God said, oh, these people have said it's not time to build my house. Okay. That's, that's how I hear it. When I read it, that's how I hear it. God says, mm, okay. So these people said it ain't time to build my house. All right. I'll show you why you had to say it that way. So God then says to the people a very serious um, statement. In fact, before that, he, he says this. He says, let me, let me read it from here. It says, verse 5, it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. It says, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. This morning, I am charging us to consider our ways. You know, this has come at a time where I believe it was during the festival where this, um, you know, when they celebrate the Passover, where he's come and brought this word. And even the name Haggai itself, it, it means festival. So I find it quite fitting to have this word now because we've just come through a festive season. We've just finished Christmas, we're into the new year, 
with these New Year resolutions, some of us, we've crossed them all off already. They've all been put to the side. But there's all of this, you know, we, we need to do something. We need, we need to, you know, better ourselves. And I think, okay, this is a good time to hear what God is saying. And God is saying, consider your ways. And the word is considered, means set your heart on your ways. Consider means examine, observe, weigh up, look at, intently at your ways. And the word ways there can talk about your lifestyle, can talk about the path you're on, the direction you are heading. Look, consider your ways. And I'm encouraging us this morning that we would consider our ways. And I want to share four areas where we should consider our ways. First of all, it says, you have sown much and bring in little. The first area I want us to consider our ways in is in what we invest in. What we invest in. What do you invest your time in, your money in, your resources in? God is saying, consider your ways. Ask yourself, what do you get in return for where you invest yourself? You know, after we've watched, you know, a whole series on Netflix, 8 to 11, sometimes 21 episodes per season, and you're like, whew, that was so good. And you get on the phone and you're talking to you, yeah, did you watch that episode? Oh my gosh, did you see what happened? Did after all of that, ask yourself, what have you gained? What has it benefited you? He says, consider your ways, what you invest in. After you take your money and you spend your hard-earned cash on one pair of shoes or one, in my case, one gadget, and you've got your gadget, ask yourself, what really have I gained? You've got whatever it is that you go and take, take and spend your money on. Your resources, your energy, you are working hard, pursuing after something. You have to stop and ask yourself, how is this benefiting me? Or how is this benefiting God? Consider your ways. So the first area is in what we invest in, how we use our time. You know, we, we can imagine, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this because of me. All right, the average Netflix season, let's just say 11 episodes, I think. That's on average around 11 hours. 11 hours, and if, if, if the possibility arise, like you know when you call in a sickie, and you sit down on your sofa with your snacks and you just watch one after the other. I know you're looking at me funny like you've never done this. You watch one after the other, after the other, and you know, you're there with your tissue, but you're enjoying yourself, yeah? We can do that, and it's, and it's kind of fine. You don't feel tired, you just flow through it. Oh, that was so good. But then, 
30 minutes, not even an hour. That's 30 minutes, half an episode. Let me read the Bible and pray. All manner of things happen in 30 minutes that are inexplicable. Sleep, hunger. All of a sudden, we remember every single thing on our to-do list that we need to do. Organization comes in. Oh, yeah, I've got those phone calls to make. All of a sudden, our brain is functioning at a different level. Half an hour. Not 11 hours, you know, half an hour. But 11 hours of our favorite series, our brain is switched off. No disturbances. In fact, we are just cruise control. The Bible says, consider your ways. The second area I want us to take time out to consider is, it says, you eat, but you do not have enough. The second area is your appetites. What are the things that you hunger for, the things that you crave for, the things that you desire and pursue? He says, consider your ways. What are your appetites? What do you like to indulge in? What do you always want more of? Now, there's some things you find that you are just kind of, you're just hooked on it. Like, you just, you always come around, like, okay, for me, everyone knows anyway. If you don't know, I'm a gadget man. Gadgets, more gadgets. And if there's any more space, we'll add a few more gadgets. Gadget man. And for some reason, without trying, I'm always looking into gadgets. I'll be on my phone, and I've geared my device in such a way that I get alerted when new products and things are being released. And I'm always up to date with the new and latest gadgets. And the Lord is saying, you need to consider your ways for your appetites, because when you fulfill these appetites, when you get your new gadget, it never satisfies that itch. Because you get it, and straight away you're looking at, now what's the next improvement on this gadget? Or it might be food. Some of us are led by food. So you wake up, and okay, breakfast. And once breakfast is finished, okay, lunch. Okay, dinner. Okay, midnight snack. Okay, breakfast. And you're never satisfied by what you have. Take out, go out, friendships, socializing. We're addicted to it. There's nothing wrong with socializing, of course, but for some of us, it drives us. It's an appetite. It's I have to be around people. I have to know that I'm, I'm, I'm accepted amongst this group of people. And you meet the people and you chill out and you have fun and then you come home and you're not satisfied. It's like, no, 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 I, I need some more. I need to find another way to... What are your appetites? What are your appetites? Consider your ways. You see, the reason why you have to know this is because, like, you know, you have to consider... If I were to give up or miss out on this appetite, well, let's say in my case, gadget, I'll talk about me so that people don't, you know, can look at me. 
if I was to miss out on this gadget, let's say I'm going to give a gift, I'm going to bless someone, I'm going to give an offering, or I'm going to do something with that money instead of buy a gadget, I have to consider my ways and ask myself, well, have I lost anything? Because when you consider your ways and you understand what it really is and you understand I am actually not, this is not actually building my life, then you can make the right decisions along the path to not entice or indulge in that appetite. And it doesn't control you because you know that actually there is something better I can do with. Number three, the third area that we need to consider, it says you drink but you are not filled with drink. And by the way, let me just go back to appetites. We're talking about physical, soulish, or spiritual appetites. You have to consider your ways in all these areas. Some of it is emotional things. It's stuff that we've, in the inside, we have appetites to, to fill voids inside of us. Some of it is physical things. We need to have some material, tangible thing to feel that we are satisfied. And some of it is more spiritual things, deeper things. We have to look at what are our appetites. Number three is, it says you drink, but you're never filled. What? Sorry, no, no, no. So um, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. This is what are your comforts? What? Do you, what makes you feel safe and secure? Where have you put your security? What do you pursue to acquire because you think it will keep you in a time of need? What do you think, if you have it, will protect your vulnerability? What are your comforts? The Lord says we need to consider our ways. Is it your image? Is it the relationships you have? Husbands, wives? Is it the knowledge that you have or you're pursuing? Is it your job? What makes you feel confident in your skin that you can stand tall? It says consider your ways. Because some of us, we have placed confidence in the job that we have. That because of this job, I feel secure, and I feel strong, and I can stand. But what if that job was to go? Some of us, it's in the image we have created for ourselves, and we feel confident in that image. But what if something was to happen to change that image? Would you lose your identity? Would you lose who you are? He says, consider your ways. What is your comforts? Husbands, wives, some husbands, their, their comfort is in their wife. You know, if she pulls up, you know, where I fall short, if she fills all those gaps, then I'm okay, I'm good. Okay, she has to make sure she comes through. Or the wife is okay, as long as the husband does these things and makes me feel this way, then okay, I'm good. Well, what if that doesn't happen? What are your comforts? And lastly, he says, and he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Consider your ways regarding your money. Are you generous with your money? Or do you want it for yourself and your own personal gains? It says he earns the wages, but he just puts it in a bag. It's like the parable with the talents. And the one 
said, look, Lord, I took your talent and I dug a hole and I put it in the ground. I just kept it there nice. So when you need it, there you go. So we, we have to consider our ways when it comes to these things. Because some of us, we, when we see the figures in the bank account, that's when we feel good. Say, so, okay, Lord, I can praise you now because I know that, hey, even if things were to go wrong, I've got at least a couple of months. I'm good. I'm safe. Yeah, okay, I can, I can, I can vibe. But what if the account is not looking that way? What if the account is looking the exact opposite? Does it make God any less faithful? Does it make God any less powerful to provide and do what he needs to do? So these are the four areas that I believe through the scripture is saying that we must consider our ways in. We must go through a time of self-examination. And I want to encourage us during this week to find and make time to just go through those four questions and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me about these areas? You know, do, have I put my, my trust, am I investing in the wrong things? Am I finding comfort in the wrong things? Am I indulging in the wrong things? My appetites, are they in the wrong place? Am I handling my finances in a way that pleases you? I think we need to sit down and ask the Lord those questions. And you see, when, when the people had done this, they, they, he, God brought this to them, he told them this. And in the, the next verse, verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Then he goes, he says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, glorified, says the Lord. So here's, here's, the, here's God's kind of remedy for this. Once you've considered your ways and once you understand, you've put things in perspective, he says, this is what needs to be happening says, go and attend to my house, basically. Go and build my temple. Now, the Lord has opened up so much to me through this, and um, I want to kind of unpick as much of that as I can today. Go and build my house. First thing he says, he says, go up the hills or go up the mountain. That word hills there can also be translated mountain. And in, in most cases of the use of that word, it's actually mountain or mountains. And it's only very few times is it used as hill. And what the Lord was showing to me is that, look, in order to, to, to set things right, in order to actually pursue building God's house, there's three things that the Lord showed me that we need to do. One is we need to go up the mountain. We can't build, how, build God's house apart from an intimate pursuit of God himself. The mountain in the scriptures is a reference to um, intimacy with God, about pursuing God. We see Moses going up the mountain and seeking God and meeting with God. And there's a lot of references. I think it's Elijah as well who goes on, he's on the cliff and then God speaks to him. There's a lot of references of meeting God on the mountain top. Jesus went up the Mount of Olives. So we must pursue God intimately, go up the mountain. This talks about our devotion to God, to put him first above everything in our lives. A pursuit of his presence and of his glory. 
And when we see in the children of Israel, when we look at um, Exodus, we see that the children of Israel were scared to go up the mountain. They're like, yeah, Moses looks a bit scary up there. I see lightning, I see fire, hear thunder. <sighs> yeah, okay, you, you go, talk for us, and come and tell us what God is saying. But God is saying he wants us to come up the mountain. He wants us to pursue him and have that intimacy with him. And when we are on the mountain, the next thing he says, he says, bring wood. You need to, in order for him to build a temple, they need to get the materials to build a temple. So he says, go up the mountain, bring wood. And what the Lord is saying to us is saying, when you are on top of the mountain, I will give you the resources you need to build the temple, to build your life. I will give you the instruction. I will give you the guidance. I will give you the wisdom that you need. The materials you need to build is what you will find when you go up the mountain. But we must go up the mountain to get those materials. And that's, this is the thing. God is not going to just come and do those things. We must pay the price, and we must make the effort to climb the mountain. The mountain, climbing a mountain is not an easy task. I'm sure anyone here who's done mountain climbing can testify. And those of you who have not done mountain climbing, just imagine it in your mind, you know it's not an easy task. So we must be prepared to pay the price to climb the mountain and to gather those materials. The materials that we're talking about is God's revelation and his blessings. It's his word alive to us, spoken to us. That's the materials that we are going up the mountain to acquire. And so in this, the Lord showed me a few things about the, the, the temple, where he's talking about build the temple, which is the, which is the next thing. We must build the house. We must build the temple. They were going to build a temple, and we are to build a temple. But the Lord showed me a few things. First of all, the first temple we see in Scripture is the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, sorry. And then we see the tabernacle, and then we see the temple that Solomon built. And then we actually see Jesus as a personified temple. And then we see the church as the temple. Now, as I was reading this and I was starting to think, okay, so what's the definition of temple? Because there's a few things that change it from, that we know that the church is not the building. The church is us, the people, right? We all know that, yes? Amen? Amen, right. So I was looking at this and I was like, okay, I, I want to read, I definitely you know, want to emphasize and understand that. But then I started to realize something. The temple is not so much these, like we say, the tabernacle or the, the tent or the, um, the temple that they, he built. The temple is really, by definition, where God chooses to dwell. Because I'll show you, in the tent of meetings, that's where God chose that he would appear for his people to go and seek. In the tabernacle, he chose in the most holy place that that is where he would choose to dwell so his people would come and seek him. In the temple... That's where he chose that his presence would be so that the people could come and seek him. In Jesus, that's where he chose. It says that if they, God saw it right, that the whole Godhead would dwell in him wholly. That where the presence of God would dwell so that the people could come 
and seek him. And then, when the New Testament comes in, the church is the place where God's presence, where he chooses to dwell, where the people can come and seek him. And that led me to see something else as well. That even the Garden of Eden is a symbol of the temple. That's where God chose to dwell, where the people could come and seek him. So where God chooses to dwell is where is God's temple. Okay. So God says to us, we need to build the temple. And there's an interesting, um, not a paradox, but there's an interesting concept when it comes to building God's temple. Because now we're not trying to build Life Center. I believe God is saying that it's time Life Center, we rise up and build Life Center. We build the church that God wants to see. But this is the thing. To build the church that God wants to see, we cannot think about building a building. We cannot think about an enclosure or a four walls that is building the church. To build the church that God wants us to see means that we must build ourselves up to be the houses where God's presence dwells that will do what God wants us to do to be the church that God has called us to be. So God is saying to us, pursue me, climb the mountain, that I may give you revelation, that I may give you the words that you may use to build yourselves up, to become who I've called you to be, so that this will be the church that I have called it to be. Amen? So this is what God is saying to us at this time. And again, I said to you, that I find the book of Haggai very picturesque to the situation we're in, the time we're in. Because we are coming to a time where the foundation has been laid, but they were not building. And when we look at the church today, Jesus has done everything he can do for the church. He has died on the cross and he has laid the foundation that no other foundation can be laid but Jesus Christ. But depending on how we build upon it is now what God is going to judge. And so this is picturesque of where we are. We are saying that God has given us everything we need and the resources we need are available to us. And we must now build what God wants us to build. We are that house. If you can bring up 1 Corinthians 3, 16, please. Let's start at 3.9, actually. It says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Interesting. We are God's co-workers, workers, the people building. But then, hold on a minute. We are God's field. We are God's building. So we are the thing being built up. It's a bit interesting. How are we the workers building up the thing that we are being built? <laughs> Do you understand? see this, the, the, the interesting concept there? But God is saying that you are God's co-workers. You are workers. You are the ones that God is going to use. You are the ones who are building God's house. But that house is also yourselves. That house is also yourselves. The scripture says that, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That the Spirit dwells in you. And so, if we hear what God is saying, God is asking us, how are we leaving our spiritual lives in ruin whilst we pursue after worldly and secular, secular things? 
consider your ways. He's saying that we must build up ourselves. This is a time to build yourselves up in the word of God, in prayer, in intimacy with God, in knowing his presence. So that the house can be strong. The temple was a place where God is the place where God dwells, and it's a place where people go to reconcile themselves with God. It's a place where they receive guidance, healing, blessing, and forgiveness. So the question is this if we abandon the temple, if we abandon our spiritual walk, if we abandon our pursuit of God, then where will the people go to find healing, to find forgiveness, to find restoration? to find healing. Where will the people go if the church is about doing other things? So we must reconsider and consider our ways to recognize that God is placing a demand and a hope on us. When he says that we are a church of difference makers, it's not a, it's not a cliche. The scripture says in Ephesians that the church, basically, the church is God's plan for mankind to bring salvation. The church is the hope. And we are the church. It's not a building. It is us. So what are we focused on? What are we pursuing? What are we doing with our time? Are we building our own kingdoms, our own houses, or are we focusing on the house of the Lord? So he says this, he says, go and do this, build my temple. Why? So that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. This is what we need to ask ourselves as we're pursuing God. Is, it, is what I'm doing pleasing God? Is what I'm doing bringing him glory? Am I glorifying the Lord with how I live, what I do, what I choose with my life? So, we must understand that from this, that God is a very jealous God. God is jealous of you and I. And he's not jealous in a bad way, like, oh, why, why has that person got this? He's jealous in a way because he loves us so and cherishes us so much that he doesn't want us to be caught up or consumed in anything that will distract us from him. He is a very jealous God. So here's, here's the interesting thing. When you consider your ways, some of you may say, but I'm working so hard. And I'm not seeing the fruit of my labors. I'm diligent. I'm working hard. I'm giving it my best. But I want you to hear something that God says. Verse 9. He says this. He says, You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. I blew it away. He didn't say the devil blew it away. He said, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while, everyone, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. 
For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. God is a jealous God. We must understand this about him. Which means if he sees you loving something else, he will frustrate you in that area so that you don't get caught up in that thing. Some of the things that we are not succeeding in, some of the things that we have been frustrated in last year, coming into this year, is not because the devil has been stopping you. It's because God is frustrating it because it has too much of your heart and attention. It is above God. See, the mountain talks about elevating God. The reason why you climb the mountain to God is because God is above everything. And so when we put something above God, God says, I'm not going to allow it to happen. My, my blessing is not on it. Cool. Keep on, keep on treading. Keep on going. You're just going to get tired eventually. And you know what happens when we get tired? Lord, why is it not happening? Lord, bless me. And then we pray and then we're like, okay. And then the Lord tries to speak to us in those moments. Why don't you, you know, turn back to me? And then we can be stubborn sometimes. Yeah, Lord, I'll turn back to you when I get the breakthrough. God's saying, okay, you're not getting it. The breakthrough comes when you turn to me. Say, so, okay, cool. I get it, Lord. But I can't turn to you until I get the breakthrough. God says, okay, cool. I'm very patient, God. I'll wait. But I'm not going to bless it. That's why we must consider our ways. Because we will blame the devil for stuff that is not the devil. And we'll keep on pushing into something that God is saying, I'm not, I'm not, as long as it has your heart, I'm not interested in helping you get there. But when we consider our ways, we realize that, oh, Lord, I put my trust in this job, not in you. I've put my, my comfort in something that is not from you. And then we can allow God to work on us and to help us. And so our response needs to be, when God speaks to us and asks us to consider our ways, it needs to be one of obedience, number one. And secondly, one of fear of the Lord. It says here, verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, so usually when you get to words, I like to say it really quickly, and hopefully no one will recognize um, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Obedience and the fear of the Lord. We need to be quick to obey, not start stubborn. When we are seeking God and we're considering our ways and God starts to highlight things to us, we need to not resist him. And it's not easy. Some, some of these things, and by the way, I've not said that they're, they're all sin. You know, your pursuits are not all sin. But they are being placed before God. And sometimes they are deep-rooted. You know, I'm, we're not doing a counseling session right now, but there's reasons why we behave the way we behave. 
And some of those things are very deep-rooted. And you have to allow God to work in your heart to set you free from some of the things that, that make us do what we do. And his grace is sufficient to do that. His power is sufficient to do that. But we must allow him. He will not force anything on us. And so obedience is our first response. And then fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord comes from this. It comes from recognizing that he's in control. That it doesn't matter how hard I try, how educated I become, how many maneuvers I make, if God is not interested and he wants to close the door, the door will be closed. So we have to recognize that God is where power lies. So I need to fear him and respect him and reverence him and put him, in due, put him at the top of my priorities. So obedience and fear of the Lord is our response as we consider our ways at the beginning of this year. And what is all of this for? Why is all of this important? And this is the, this is the kicker here. This is the bit. When I read this, I thought so many different things. But here, here's the response that he gives after he tells them to do this. Verse 13. Then Haggai the, Lord's, Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke to the, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, here it comes. I am with you, says the Lord. After all of that, that's it. God says, I am with you. I am with you. And the people are like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You frustrated our ways. All of this. You told us to consider our ways. You want us to build your house. And just so that you can say, I am with you. Well, this is the thing. That is what it's all about. We are building God's house so that God can be with us. We are considering our ways so that God's presence can be strong inside of us. We are considering our ways so that as when we gather as a church, God's presence is here strong amongst us. Because that is the only thing that actually counts. That God is with us. Moses understood this. He said, hey, Lord, look, I know you want to send us a choice angel, take us to the promised land. I know we've been walking around here for 40 years and people are kind of fed up. But if you're not going to take us there, your presence is not going with us, it's cool. Let's stay here. I'm not going anywhere because it's your presence that distinguishes me from everybody else. It's your presence that sets me apart. It's your presence that makes the difference. God is with you. See, what you have to understand is if God is with you, then you have everything you need. Those areas where you're considering your ways in, in your money, in your indulgences, in your appetites, in your time, your investments, if God is with you, all of those things that you try and do through those things, you'll get them through God. That's why if God is with you, that's the best thing you can have. And coming back to what we said in New Year, it says, I am with you. I am, is, I am who I am. It's I will be who I will be. It's you cannot categorize me or box me. I am God. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. I am God is with you. Everything you need, every resource you need is in God. So we should pursue and endeavor to have God 
with us. And God is with us when he is pleased and he is glorified through how we live and what we do. The unlimited God is with you. I want to encourage us this year that we will go through this year with God. We will go through 2019 with God. Not start it with God and then end off doing our own thing and end 2019 like, whoa, um, Lord, hey, how you doing? Uh, we meet again. I, I've had an interesting year. I've been trying to do a few things and I forgot, you know, we, we had a, a plan. No, no, no. Let's go through the whole year with God. Let's climb the mountain and pursue him. Let's grow in intimacy in knowing the Father. Let's grow in the knowledge of him and experiencing his presence and his closeness. In knowing God, he will tell you who you are. He will give you the breakthroughs you need in your work, in your finances. He will give you the things that, he will be your comfort and your shield. If you invest time in the Lord, you don't lose anything. Build my house. That's what I'm going to name this message. Build my house. God is encouraging us and calling us to build his house. He's saying that we must rise up as his church. That we must prioritize him as number one in our lives. And that when we do that, we will experience him himself. And in experiencing him, we can be the catalyst to help heal this nation, to help heal this community, to help heal our families and our friends, and to bring God's restoration plan to our sphere of influence. Amen? Amen. Let's just stand as we close. Lord, I just want to thank you again for the privilege to share this word. I just want us to take a moment that as you've been hearing the word, if you feel, as you know, you may be considering your ways and you feel there's some areas that, yeah, Lord, I need to just repent of, I need to just um, change some of my ways. Just speak to the Lord right now. Just respond to him right now where you're standing. You don't need to come to the front. Just respond to him right now. You're saying, I want to be part of your co-workers. I want to be one of those who are building the house with you. And I want to be the material that you use to build. In Corinthians, it also talks about Christ is the foundation that we build on and that we can build with wood, hay, stubble, rock, gold, precious metals, jewels. And so we're saying, Lord, I want to be those, that, that precious jewel. I want to be the, the good stuff that you build with. I want to be part of that stuff that will pass the trial of fire when I stand before you and my works will be pleasing to you, that you will look and you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. That those works that I do will have eternal value. 
Lord, I pray that you will touch us as we stand here. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts. Speak to us about where you want us to change, where you want us to give over and surrender to the Lord. Lord, we are asking that we will grow in your presence this year. We want to grow in intimacy with you this year, O Lord Father. We don't want to be busy about our own agendas. We don't want to be building our own houses, O Lord Father. We want to build your house so that we can experience your blessing. We can experience your breakthroughs, O Lord Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. 